Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Hey everyone, uh, one special thing I want you to do, maybe if you haven't been doing this as you've been following along with our messages in this series, um, I'd like you to grab a Bible and have it handy. I know we will put the scriptures up on the screen, but today in particular I want you to have a Bible there with you. We're going to actually read a, a pretty long chunk, and I want you to kind of work your way through that uh, as it is in, in the book. Um, I think that'll be a great thing. So go run around the house quick, grab one, or maybe you got one on a coffee table or nearby or next to your bed or something out in the car, I don't know, find it. Bring it there, and uh, we'll jump into it together. As always with these messages, we want to have some, some interaction, and so if you have questions as I go along, go, uh, go ahead and text the number that's up on the screen and text in your questions, and I will do some Q&A at the end if we have any questions to, to, jump, to jump into. Uh, to start, I want to I read you a little piece of history um, from the 1800s. I found this, and I thought this was really interesting. In 1879... Lieutenant George DeLong set out with the crew on the USS Jeanette in hopes of claiming the North Pole for the United States. DeLong's plans were based on maps developed by mapmakers at, at the time, the cartographers, and the mapmakers believed that there was an open polar ice-free sea teeming with marine life whose waters could be smoothly sailed much as one might sail across the Caribbean or the Mediterranean. Unfortunately, every precious expedition that had sailed north in search of the sea had run into a problem, ice. Now, you might think that running into ice every time would lead scientists to abandon the idea or the theory of this open polar sea, but not so. Instead, they modified the theory slightly. Mapmakers suggested that there was a small circle of ice, and all you had to do was find a gap in that ice, and you'd enjoy a smooth ride all the way to the North Pole. DeLong and his crew of 28 men went to find that little gap. It didn't take DeLong to long to realize that all the cartographers, scientists, and geographers had been wrong. He wrote, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole a delusion and a snare. The ice seemed to stretch out forever. DeLong and his crew came to grips with the fact that they had been duped. The team had to replace their wrong-headed ideas with a reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. In September of 1879, the USS Jeanette got trapped in the ice pack, and its crew escaped and tried to go towards Siberia. The crew got separated. Some made it to Siberia and survived. Others continued their lonely trek through the ice. DeLong himself died in late of October of 1881 of starvation. He was covered up by snow except for one of his arms, which was raised as if to signal toward the sky. The wrong map had cost him his life. You know, it's important when we follow a map that it's a good map. It's important when we get a compass that it works. When we are, when we're, even when we're using Google Maps, it's important that at least we have Wi-Fi signal. It is important that we have everything in place to get us where we need to go because a faulty map can lead you astray, it can, you can go wrong, and in some cases, a faulty map uh, can cost you 
your life. And I think this concept is true not just of physical maps. It's true of a lot of the things that we follow to give us meaning and direction in culture. Our our culture uh, looks at the questions of life, the important stuff. What is life about? Um, Where do we find meaning? What is valuable? What should we be spending our time on? What should we be spending our money on? What should we be spending our energy on? It's not like our culture in America or other cultures of the world. It's not like they're silent on those issues. Our culture gives a map towards those things. What is the good life? What is life all about? But does the culture give us a map that's good or is it one that's faulty? Uh, writer uh, James Smith says it this way, our culture often sells us faulty, fantastical maps of the good life that paint alluring pictures that draw us toward them. And all too often, we stake the expedition of our lives on them, setting sail toward them with every sheet hoisted. And we do so without thinking about it because these maps work on our imagination, not our intellect. It's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize we trusted faulty maps. We are continuing on in our series today called The Unstoppable Force. And really what we're doing for this five-week series is looking at the church. What is the church about? What is it supposed to be? And really during this whole COVID time where people are sheltering at home and all that, a lot of businesses, churches, nonprofits, a lot of people have looked at their mission and said, can we still do what we're doing? Or do we need to shift some things? Do some things need to change? And as a church, we've had to look inward and say, okay, um, one of the things that we did most regularly was gather together in the Bird Theater. We can't do that right now. So what needs to change? What needs to happen? Um, are we still going the right direction. And so I think this series is really good for us in this time to sort of go, hey, what are we about? What do churches do? What should they do? What have they always done? And, and what can be our way forward? I have been pretty energized by, by this time of, of an opportunity to, to, to change some things. Um, but that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. And today I want to talk about what is our map as a church? What do we, we follow? And, and our map as a church, and this should be not a big surprise to you, is, is the Bible itself. We look at the scriptures and say, what does it say then in its culture and context? How do we apply that today? And we try to follow the Bible as closely as we can. As the followers of Jesus, it, the Bible contains the words of Jesus. So we want to know them and, and follow him as closely as we possibly can. And we feel like that's the best way to not mess up our lives. But as we, as we do that, that can get a bit problematic, right? The Bible has been misused over the centuries, and, and many things have done, whether it's the justification of slavery or um, it was uh, the Inquisitions and Crusades and, and, and uh, the degradation of women and just all sorts of things have been done, and, and people have used the Bible to justify those things over the centuries. But rather than continue that, we want to, uh, to say, okay, it has been misused, but it doesn't mean there isn't value there. There's tremendous value in the scriptures. And we believe that the Bible can transform our lives and, and if, if we get into it. And so the challenge will be, are you willing to get into it? Will you actually read it? You have to be diligent to it. Because a lot of people don't read the Bible, and those that do rarely understand the context of it and understand its culture to be able to understand what it's trying to communicate to us now. 
Um, and, and for a lot of people in this social media age, the thought of reading a book at all is challenging. It's like, man, if the Bible, I might read the Bible if it's like in a Huffington Post article or something, or if you can tweet it out maybe in little bits, I might read it then. But a lot of people don't have the time or the patience to dive into the thing. And, and, and I think that's a mistake. I, I think there's a lot of value there, and it really matters for our lives. And let me just tell you right up front, for Area 10 Church, the Bible is, is the root for us. It's, it's where we go when we look at all the issues of culture. Even in 2020, even with all the things swirling around, we go back to the scripture and say, what does it teach us about this? People have gone there before. They've dealt with things before. What is it trying to teach us? What can we learn? What can we know from the scripture? And so we go back there. That is home base for us with whatever issue comes up. We are constantly going back to the Bible as our, as our map, as our compass, um, I, I want to read to you uh, a chapter out of the Bible. So if, you, if you've got a Bible handy now, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to actually read the whole chapter. That's not something I typically do when, when I teach, but there's so much in there and it's not incredibly long and I, was, and I didn't want to cut any of it out. So we're going to read through the entire chapter, 2 Timothy 3. So if you find that now in your Bibles, it's towards the back. If you get to like maps and a glossary or you've gone too far, an index. Uh, but before that, um, 2 Timothy 3 is kind of s- stuck in there. Um, there's a whole bunch of books that start with the letter T, Thessalonians and the Timothys and Titus. So it's in there. Um, and, and Timothy was a preacher at a church in the city of Ephesus, which is in Western Turkey. And he was mentored by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote letters to Timothy. And in these letters, we see a lot of things about the church, about what the church should be doing. So there's a lot of church dynamics. There's qualifications for elders and deacons. There's how you care for widows. There's uh, stuff about gender dynamics. There's uh, stuff about just how the church is supposed to relate to one another. There's a lot of good practical stuff in the letters of First and Second Timothy. And so Christians for millennia have used those books somewhat as a roadmap for how churches should be planted or how church life should function. So we're going to read 2 Timothy 3. Uh, Let's jump into it. We're going to start with verse 1 and go through uh, verse 9. It says this, Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Come on, kids, listen up ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Giannis and Yambras opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. All right, leaving aside that last part, which is a reference to people in Egypt who opposed Moses back in the day, um, going back to kind of the beginning of that section, Paul warns us and says, look, it's going to get ugly out there. Just know that. Be aware. 
uh, pay attention to what's going on. It's, it's going to get uh, difficult. And the list he talks about, people lovers of money and conceited and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to their parents. I know that was written 2,000 years ago, but can you look around and, and, and at our culture today and go, yeah, it's, it's a lot like that. Like, we may be way more advanced, but it's pretty much the same. I mean, that list practically reads like a list of my social media feed if you also included some cute cats and dogs pictures in there. If Paul had said, and there will be cute cats and dogs, that is my social media feed, right? And it's probably the same for you. Um, things have really not changed that much. Now, there's some modern things you can add to it. There's, some, there's a virus that people are worried about. There's, there's different kind of fears. There's some different things we're judgmental about. But I think Paul kind of nails it. Hey, this is the way culture is going to be, and this is how things are going to go. So don't be surprised when this happens. And then he turns his, his eyes really towards the church directly in verse 10, and he says this. You, have, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, whose persecutions I adored. Endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, listen to this indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 12 again, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. That is a promise. That is a promise from God to anybody who's trying to get it right, who's trying to follow after Jesus, who's trying to know God and follow his will for their lives. Paul says, um, you will be persecuted. It's not going to go great for you at all times. And, and, and let's be honest about that. If you're checking out Christianity for the first time, I want to put that right up front, okay? We don't need to bury that in the fine print. I want you to know right up front, um, it, it is promised to us that there's going to be people who don't like you for following Jesus. That you, persecution will come um, in, in, in our culture and other cultures, just kind of wh where you're at, maybe with your family, maybe with your friends. Persecution will come. I know that's a terrible recruiting speech for Christianity, but we have to be honest about it. Um, that's, that's going to happen. He has not promised us kittens and rainbows. Um, there will be hard stuff that comes. Um, verse 14, let's continue on. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And he's talking uh, to, to Timothy specifically. Uh, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul is talking about the map that Timothy has followed his entire life so that he wouldn't get shipwrecked. And Timothy... Uh, we learned in, in, earlier that Timothy learned his faith from his mother and grandmother. So it was taught to him the scriptures. And when Paul says the scriptures, he's referring to what we would call the Old Testament. These things were passed on and passed down to Timothy from his mother and his grandmother. And so from, a, from early age, he knew the scriptures. He was versed in it. And Paul says... Um, the, these are very valuable for us. The scriptures themselves as a map, as a compass, as a guide, as an authority over our lives. Uh, the, the scriptures are valuable and they're important for us. Number one, the scripture, the Bible is valuable because of its message. Um, it's not a bunch of 
nice sayings of Jesus. The Bible is not a bunch of fables like Aesop's fables that are like cool moral stories that didn't really happen, but they teach us a lesson. Um, the, the Bible is actually trying to answer the message of the Bible from beginning to end. It's trying to answer the biggest questions of life. Um, so much of our culture doesn't have answers for the big questions. You say, what is life about? And, and our culture says, it's about whatever you make it. This is what we tell kids, what we tell college students, and it's not helpful. It's actually kind of sad. There's like, hey, there's no rails, no limits, and it's like, yeah, but what am I supposed to do? Like, it's, it's very difficult in our culture to navigate that. The scripture comes along, and it has a message. It says, you are created by a creator. This gives you some sense of your identity. You were created by a creator, uh, and then there was a fall. We messed it up, Adam and Eve, that whole situation. And then there was redemption. Jesus came along to fix what was broken. And when we give our lives to him, we are connected to him in his kingdom, and we can live with him, and we can be made right with God again, and we can get back to some of that original state, and then eventually we will be in heaven. There's a, there's a whole grand narrative of what life is about, what we're here for, who we are. Like That is all laid out for us in the scripture. And, and you'd be hard-pressed to find any book in the world that's going to do that. The scripture is authoritative and is powerful, and the Bible is, a power, is powerful because it has that message. It teaches us about the kingdom of God. It teaches us, uh, as, as Paul says, it makes us wise for the scriptures. We're able to make us wise for salvation. It speaks to our identity that we don't have to guess at who we are or who we belong to. Um, it's, it's all laid out there for us. Look at 2 Timothy verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, look at the way Paul talks about the scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is actually one of the first verses of the Bible that I ever learned. When I was in middle school, and I don't know why I remember this, but I, I had uh, an elder from the church, guy probably in his mid-30s, maybe 40, he would come over my house once a week and he taught me the Bible. And he'd come over, hang out after school for about an hour, and we would go through scriptures. And, and I remember that he taught me that scripture. I, I probably because it said reproof or rebuke, and that was weird to my middle school mind, you know? And, and he taught me that and said that all scripture is God breathed. The, the Greek word there um, is this Greek, is this word theonoustos, uh, theo, God, nous is from pneuma, spirit, breath. It, it literally is God breathed, the breath of God. So we believe the Bible is unique um, because it is breathed out by God. There are human authors, yes, a bunch of guys wrote it down. But God breathed it out. He inspired it, which is a second reason why the Bible is important and authoritative in our life is because of its origin. The Bible is not mankind's best guess at God. It's not like, oh, maybe let's all get together and write down our best ideas about who God is, who, who, who this creator is, why the universe is the way it is. No, it, it comes the other direction to us. It comes from God uh, to man. Um, and, it's, and it's easy for people now to dismiss the Bible and sort of go, I don't know, it was written by men, it was written over a long period of time in multiple languages, it was written by men in a patriarchal society, and we just want to dismiss it and say that was dusty old stuff from back then and it doesn't matter now. And while I would say is that, yes, it was men, written by men in a patriarchal society, and, and all of that is, is true, and it was written over thousands plus years, and a lot of different authors written in some different languages, um, I think it's a mistake to dismiss it now. 
It actually is a book that has standed the test of time or stood, stood the test of time um, and, and, and has value for us today. Uh, what we see in the scripture is what God wanted us to see. What is written down there is what he wanted us to know. Now, we have to do the work. We're not just going to cherry pick verses out of context. Like, you've got to jump in and understand it in its context to know what it meant to the people who originally heard it so that you can understand how to apply it in our culture today. Um, but, you, but we're willing to do that work. And when we as followers of Jesus do that work and we read the scriptures, we are doing it from a place of believing in it. We believe this is the teaching of God. We believe this is his words. Um, and, we, and we read it so that, so that we can grow. So the Bible uh, is also unique. In, it's unique in its message. It's, it's, it's unique and authoritative and important because of its origin. Um, it's also important and authoritative because of its uses. Um, the scripture that we just read said that, that the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, it's all scriptures God breathed and it's useful, profitable, Paul says, it's profitable for us really in four ways. It's profitable for teaching. So to know stuff, to, to know where, who, how God is at work, where he's at work, what he's done, what Jesus did when he walked amongst us. The Bible is profitable for teaching us. It's also profitable for reproof or rebuke. So when you do something stupid, you can go to the scripture and the scripture will be like, hey, that's stupid. And you're like, I didn't know, but that's actually a good point. Or Hopefully someone will point it out to you from Scripture in a gentle, loving way. But the Bible rebukes us. It challenges us. And that's important because we live in a culture that doesn't want to be rebuked, that doesn't want to be challenged, and wants to let everybody, and and let's just all just figure it out on our own and find our own way. And the Bible comes along, sitting outside of our culture, outside of our current cultural context, and says, these things are universally true. This is the good life. This is what life is about. And that stuff challenges us. No matter where we are, no matter what country we live in, what time we live in, you go to the scripture, it will eventually rebuke you or rebuke something about the culture. It's, it's correction. Um, the Bible also um, helps us learn what is true. Uh, it, it, uh, it gives us cor- correction when we get off course, and then it gives us training as well. Training is like teaching, but with maybe more focus on application of how do I live this out and walk this out in the day-to-day. So put simply, the Bible helps us learn what is true, what is wrong, how to correct what is wrong, and, and then how to apply the truth. And I think as a culture, we're very nervous about that if we're honest about it. I was listening to NPR this week. That probably, that sentence right there probably puts me in a category of people for you already, uh, but, but I'll just go with it. I was listening to NPR, and they had an interview with Hassan Minaj. Uh, if you've seen him, he's the host of the show on Netflix called Patriot Act. It's sort of stand-up comedy, sort of political commentary, um, and he was, they did an interview with him where he was talking about faith, and he's Muslim, and he was talking about faith and his background and why it matters and how he lives it out, and just... Listening to NPR talk about faith is funny in and of itself. It sounds like, it almost sounds like it's a foreign language to them. Like they're getting some of the words right, but they don't not quite know how they're used. But nonetheless, I'm listening to NPR, interview this guy about faith. And he said something that just kind of struck me. And it made me want to go find out more about him. But he said this about faith and spirituality. He said, anytime spirituality has felt limiting... I've had a natural inclination to back away from it. Anytime spirituality, any of that religious stuff, 
Anytime that gets to like infringe upon me or it's limiting, I back away from it. And I just thought, man, that is our culture to a T. I mean, that's, that's how we live. I'm good with the God stuff until, I'm good with spirituality generally until it puts a limit on me. There's a limitation. It tells me no. It rebukes me, reproofs, corrects me, pushes me, challenges me. At that point, then, I back away from my spirituality. Spirituality is good when it involves tea and yoga and breathing exercises, but I will back away when it starts to say, actually, you might want to do something differently there. That's not the way to please God. That's not the way to love other people well. That's not, that's not good. Um, and I get that. I get, because I, I think when I run into limitations in the scripture, I have that natural, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Um, but the truth is, um, limitations are good. The scripture, when we go to it, rebukes us. It corrects us. And that's going to feel like it puts limits on you. But limits are good. They're a good thing. Speed limits are a good thing that we all don't drive as fast as we happen to be feeling that day. Because you get into a fight with your spouse, you're going to drive fast, and people are going to get hurt. Those limits are good. Um, having laws are good. Having people who enforce laws, policemen, judges, you know, and, and all this talk about reforming those systems, and maybe there needs to be reform in those systems, no question. But laws are good, and people enforcing them, these things are actually good. Some laws can be immoral, and we can debate about those and work on those. But it's good that we have laws. It's good that we have limits. It's good that you get tired and you have to go to sleep. If you push through that limit, it's not going to go well for you. We are designed to function within limits. The trick is to find the right limitations that fit our, our true nature and, and fit reality, to function within those limitations. That's the value of Scripture. The Scripture shows us our limitations, and it shows us how we can function within them. And, and, and it gives us some guardrails to say, stay in these lanes and don't veer out of them. The scripture shows us how we are made for a purpose. So that, listen, and this is how the chapter ends, 2 Timothy 3.17. So that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the man or woman of God, we are going to be competent, equipped for every good work. There, there's a... This is all going somewhere. The reason we read the scripture is because of its results, because it produces something in us. And the, the main result that the scripture is trying to produce in us is spiritual maturity. We should become the kind of people who are uh, fully equipped, proficient, understand, um, understand the culture, understand the times that we live in. Um, understand what is good and right and what we should be pursuing. Understand the direction for our lives. What, what are we going to do with the, the few days that we have on earth? The scripture is a map and it helps us navigate where the ice is so that we can get through uh, clearly. It shows us wisdom and it models it for us. Now, the scripture also shows bad examples. This isn't to say everybody in the Bible is a nice shining character. It shows all sorts of examples of when it goes wrong. And so we want to pay attention to those as well. But there's a ton of, of, of value there for us if we are willing to dive into it. So I, I bring all this up to say um, I've been thinking about this through this shelter-at-home coronavirus time. And uh, 
as, as things sort of shut down March 12th, um, I don't know what the official date of the start of everything shutting down, but I think all sports stopped on March 12th. And so to me, that's when it felt like everything ended. I don't know if it was different for you, but roughly March 12th, 13th, that weekend, um, going into that weekend. Uh, and, and people had to quickly pick up some new habits or a new way of being and functioning. You got kids at home and you're working from home for a lot of people. Some people it didn't change that much, but for a lot of people, their, their patterns and routines changed. They weren't going to an office. And immediately you find out some good things like I spend less money on gas and less money eating out when all the restaurants are closed, stuff like that. Um, but for me to get through it, there's, there's really two things I was setting out to do. I, I wasn't trying to like you know, I'm going to do 200 push-ups a day and go run a couple miles and all that kind of stuff. I, I was, my focus primarily has been over the last couple months uh, has been two things I wanted to keep going. One, we've been reading Core 52 as a church this year. It is a book de- designed to take you through 52 core sections of the Bible over the course of a year, one a week. So there's a, a chapter a week. We have been going through that. These messages on Sunday tie into that. Um, and a lot of you have given feedback that you're doing it. You've been amazed how providentially timely those have been. Uh, as, as you know, the, 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 the Sunday that we go into lockdown, uh, there's, there's Core 52 is talking about how to deal with overwhelming worry, which a lot of people were, were feeling. Um, so I have tried to stick with Core 52 to write, to read scripture every day. Every Thursday of Core 52, it has you meditate on scripture. I've been writing them out so that I can hopefully memorize them and get them in me. And then the other, my other goal for this has been to read a book a week. Um, and I was doing really well at that for a while until I ran into some hard, longer books. And I realized if I'm going to read a book a week, they've got to be like shorter, <laughs> easier, easier books. But, I, but what my hope was that I would come out of this time with more knowledge and hopefully more wisdom as I try to apply some of the things I'm reading and, and, and learning about. Um, and, I, and I hope that's what God is doing in my life throughout this thing. What I have noticed in myself during the last couple months is that I have a almost supernatural sense of peace. Um, I have not freaked out. Um, I, have, I, I, have, I have felt like it's going to be okay. Um, and I know various people are dealing with this whole thing in different ways and how it's affecting you. And I've said before, we're all in the same storm, but we're in very different boats, right? So but, but I have felt almost a supernatural sense of peace as a leader in the church. I mean, people have asked me like, oh, you're the pastor. Like, Chris, are you okay? Are you okay at the church? And um, I, I, I am okay. I, I've surprised how much peace I've had. I, I've been amazed at how our staff and our elders and other leaders and other people in the church have just stepped up as we have pivoted and tried to figure out when you take away something we've always relied on, meeting in the Bird Theater since almost day one of this church, when you take that away, what can you do and what needs to be done and how are we still functioning as the church? Um, God has given me uh, lots of energy and lots of passion during this time. And I think part of that has come just from the consistent reading of the word, just of reading and journaling and praying. And we've had you know, 40 days of prayer. We've had a couple of fasting sessions uh, throughout the first six months of this year. Uh, and I think God is working through that and, and providing our church a map, a map through the ice so that we can come out of this thing well on the other side. Um, I, I truly believe we all need that map. We all need that thing that we go to because hard times are coming. If, if it's 
if the last couple of months have been hard, this is that time for you. If the second half of this year is hard, this will be that time. It's next year. It's in five years. Hard times are coming. And, and, and if you have the right map, it makes all the difference. Um, if you have a faulty map, you know, you can shipwreck easily. Um, you have to figure out who your authority is going to be as you, as you navigate. For a lot of people, authority in their life doesn't come from Scripture. For a lot of people, their authority of their life is their parents or uh, a coach or a teacher. And if your parents are your authority and you live at home and you're young, that's fine. But as you get older, some people, it's the voice of their parents that drives their decisions. It's the voice of a coach or a teacher or a professor or a friend. And we look to those things and they become the authority in our lives. And listen, I'm a parent, so I can at least speak on the parent side and say, I want my kids to recognize me as an authority in their life. And I want them to uh, listen and follow along with things that I'm asking them to do. Um, But as they become adults, they'll look back at me They probably already do because they're teenagers, but they're going to look at me and they're going to be like, yeah, he doesn't know everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was right about that. I don't know about that. And and I get that Um, because I'm I'm, I'm a broken person too, you know? And so um, uh, the authorities of parents, teachers, coaches, professors, all that, like that's not, that's not a great ultimate guide for your life. The authority of our culture uh, does not work either. Sometimes our culture takes a voice of authority in our lives. The media, articles that we read, a Netflix show that we watch, um, even laws. We, we, we say, well, if it's legal, it must be okay. But not everything historically that has been legal has been okay. And some things that are legal are very unethical and immoral. And so going to those things and saying, well, if it's legal, it's okay. Or if the culture says it's okay, that is not a good authority to have in your life. This is how we get into some of the trouble that we're in. And I hope we've noticed that in the last few months. Have we noticed that the experts in culture, in science, in in media, have you noticed how conflicting all that information is? How we go, well, I listen to the experts, and it's like, which experts? They're all arguing with each other, and they don't exactly know where we're going, and it feels like floating around on sort of a rudderless ship uh, as, as a society. Um, and so I, I think we're there and we, and we need to notice. And hopefully that takes us, helps us take the blinders off and go, look, if I'm looking to the experts or the science or the culture or the media to, to provide the direction for me and give me the map through the ice, it's not going to happen. Um, they're just not that reliable. And, and for other people, maybe their ultimate authority is not their parents and it's not the culture. We say a very American thing to say is make your heart your own authority. You go, okay, well, I'm not going to listen to all those people out there. They don't know what they're doing. My parents were wrong. My coaches were wrong. You know, the media doesn't know what it's saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go inward and find this inner guide. Um, and, and man, if that doesn't just sound like a Disney movie, like, I mean, let's be honest. That is the plot line of every Disney movie ever. I don't want to, spoiler alert, on every Disney film, but basically the, 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 the relative plot line is orphaned child, uh, has uh, a problem with authority and has a great challenge that comes up and they eventually go against that challenge and fight and discover something inside themselves that helps them overcome this great evil so that they can kind of win at the end. Uh, that's sort of the story we tell in our culture is that it's really inside of you. And the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Let's be honest. Wisdom of the ages 
in the scriptures or Disney in the last 75 years, right? The, the, the scripture says, no, your heart is deceitful. You can't trust that. Don't just follow your heart. That's, that's terrible advice. And the older you get, the more you realize that's true because you followed your heart before and you've done some really dumb things, right? We, we, as the people of God, we have something different. We have the spirit of God inside of us to guide us and we have the scriptures in front of us to help lead us forward. And that's a, a, that, those are authorities that we can actually trust. So here's my challenge, and then we're done. Read Core 52 and follow along in the scriptures with us. If you don't have the book, you can reach out to us. We have more copies of it. Um, we can get it to you. You can find it on Amazon. Um, also, if you want a deep dive into the scriptures, this is coming up, and it's starting here within the next week uh, I, that I want you to know about. We are going through the book of Genesis in a summer Bible study. We have two different studies, uh, a study through Genesis 1 through 11, and then a study through Genesis 12 through 30. Those are going to be happening Thursday mornings, Friday mornings, uh, Saturdays, or Thursday nights. So there's a couple days there. You can, you can look it up uh, on our, on our, uh, in our app. You can register for it as an A10U class. We have studies that are deep dives into the book of Genesis. A bunch of us did the, the Genesis 1 through 11 last summer, and it's really good. Uh, 10 weeks long. There's a great stuff in there, and I would love for you to sign up for one of those. We will meet here at 2810 in the building. We are in phase two. We can meet in groups of, of up to 50. So we're going to gather here, um, and this will be a chance to come out and, and hang out with some other people and jump into this stuff. Um, if the Bible is to be our roadmap, let's start there in Genesis, because so much of the rest of Scripture is built off of things that happen there in Genesis. So it's a great foundational text for us to jump into. So read Core 52 with us, read the scriptures, um, do the Genesis studies. Next year, after we're done with Core 52, we're going to jump into the book of Acts and teach that as, the, as a history book of the early church. We're going to teach that through most of 2021. Gosh, 2021, just saying that sounds so nice, doesn't it? It's like, can we start that tomorrow? Like, can 2021 be tomorrow? I, but uh, but that, so that's coming. Um, let me just challenge you. Don't let the Bible just be a book on a shelf to you. Um, it, it does you no good if you don't pick it up and read it. Let it be something that actually guides you and shapes you because it is a reliable map. My, my concern is so many people are going to go through life and they're going to search for the North Pole and they're going to search for that thing and they're going to follow faulty maps. And, and that ends with you dying with a fist in the air wanting it to be something different. Um, I think the people of God, we have something better in the scripture and we have a way forward through whatever times that we're living in. So we're gonna take communion now. If you have communion elements at your house, bread and juice, ideally, but if if not, grab something like that uh, so that you can remember the body of Christ that he gave his life for you. You can remember the blood of Christ that his blood was spilled for you to cover over your sins, to cover over everything you've ever done wrong. Uh, God, God covers that in Jesus. And so we're going, the band's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing. And a, as we do, you can take communion. And then I'll come back. Uh, lots of stuff is rolling out in the next few days. And so I've got several announcements to give you of some good and fun stuff, including something happening next Sunday that you're going to want to be a part of. Um, and then I'll also answer any questions that you have. So uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice of your son on the cross that is written for us in the scriptures. May we dive into it and not just thank Jesus for the sacrifice, but learn from Jesus as our leader and learn from him the pattern of life and the way that we should walk. Um, Help us to do that 
Lord, uh, we, as, we, as we sing, as we take this communion now, we remember you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, and then finally, I just want to read you a question came in, and I really love this question. Um, I love all your questions, guys, but this one's extra. Uh, so uh, this question says, um, if the Bible is breathed out by God and written to give us lessons, why does the Bible, especially the Old Testament, write about such horrible things like polygamy, rape, and incest? Um, that's a great question, and let me just cover that briefly. Uh, the Bible writes about those things because those are things that happen in the world. And if the Bible skirts around those things, then it's not really addressing the world as it really is. There are horrible things, even today, that are happening in the world of you know villages being burned and, and, and honor killings and all of this kind of stuff definitely in the ancient world when the Bible is written, but also going into today. And so the Bible doesn't hold them up and say, these things are awesome. It doesn't glorify those things, say, oh, polygamy is great or incest is great, any of those kind of things. Um, it, it challenges those things and really leaves them there for us as, as a, hey, this is what happens. This is how this goes poorly for you or for a culture if they get involved in these sort of things. So that's actually one of the things I appreciate about the Bible. That isn't to say... You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut an eight-year-old loose on the book of Genesis and say, read it. It's a fun book from beginning to end. They're going to be like, what is all this stuff, right? Like, you need to understand the context. There is some stuff in there. But if you're going to deal with the real stuff of life, um, we can't just have a book that is sort of happy morality play or just tells us nice things all the time. It has to deal with the world as it truly is. And I, and I think the fact that it does and it leaves the good and the bad and the ugly all out there on display for us. I think the fact that the Bible is like that is, is why um, it's endured for so long because it really gets into the stuff of life and doesn't, um, it doesn't pull punches. And I think that's actually needed in, in every time and in every culture and especially now as well. So great question. If there are, um, feel free to email me if there are specific things you'd like some clarification about or you'd like to talk through. I'd be happy to email back and forth with you or get together and have a coffee through a face mask or something, whatever we do. And that would, it's hard to drink through the mask. I've tried it. Um, but uh, we, we could get together. That would be great. So thanks for the question and thanks for joining us today as, as we worship. Hope to see uh, many of you that, that can join us in person next Sunday after church as we do a little summer fun kickoff. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you guys checking us out today. Let's pray as we close out today. God, may the scriptures not be the greatest book ever written and the greatest book not read in our lives. May the scriptures be something that we dive into, that we ingest and digest and, and really um, not just so we can get through a good book, but so that good book can get through us. I pray that that happens. Um, I pray that uh, if anyone's intimidated by that, that maybe Core 52 is an easy entry point for them or they can get on another easy reading plan and, and really start jumping in and, and, and do it consistently. Not a, I want to go to the gym and you go one time or you go for a week or two, but you do it consistently. I pray that, uh, uh, that today we... We, we are challenged for that and, and really dive in there. God, thank you for the community here, the people who engage with what we're doing uh, and how we love this city. God, uh, may you use us to bring healing to this city and to bring, to bring hope here because we are connected to the greatest story ever and it brings meaning to our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace, my friends.